my name is Beverly Talon, Editorial Assistant of Canada's History. Today we are talking about Sir Wilfrid Laurier with Roy McSkimmon, author of a new historical novel, Laurier in Love. Sir Wilfrid Laurier was Canada's seventh Prime Minister and leader of the Liberal Party. He was also the first Francophone Prime Minister in Canada. Presiding over the growth of our nation for 15 years, from July 11, 1896 to October 6, 1911. He's often considered one of Canada's greatest statesmen. He continued as leader of the opposition until his death on February 17, 1919. Join us as we celebrate Sir Wilfrid Laurier Day on his birthday, November 20th. And be sure to check out other information about Laurier's life and times at candacehistory.ca. And visit RoyMcSkimmon.ca for more fun facts and photos on Laurier. Hello, Roy. Hello, Beverly. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Roy, when did you first become aware of Sir Wilfrid Laurier? Well, I suppose like uh, every other young Canadian, I first became aware of him in school, where we were taught uh, that he was an important prime minister. And... Um, he seemed a good guy, you know. Um, he certainly seemed like the best-looking prime minister we'd ever had, at least until Pierre Elliott Trudeau came along. And it's, there's actually a, a surprising resemblance between the two. If you look at photographs of Laurier as a young man, he, uh, he bears quite a resemblance to Pierre Trudeau. Um, apart from that, you know, I mean, we all carry Laurier around in our pockets and, mm -hmm. and in our wallets and our purses. We try to. <laughs> That's right. He's on the $5 bill. And they come and go. Yeah, don't they, though? But I don't know how much, uh, you know, most of us really think about him and what he accomplished. And one of the times that kind of piqued my interest and curiosity was when I was interviewing Jean Chrétien for a magazine profile shortly before he became prime minister. And he told me how revered Laurier was in his home when he was growing up. His father was a tremendous admirer of Laurier and, and uh, known him during his time as prime minister. And, and this is something that uh, Mr. Chrétien certainly absorbed. And uh, it uh, says something, I think, about Laurier's place in, uh, of course, in, in the whole of Canada, but also in Quebec, particularly, as you mentioned, being the first prime minister from French Canada. He, uh, he has an enormous symbolic importance as well as uh, being important for the things he accomplished. But I guess, you know, when I really got into researching Laurier was, was when I, uh, I was writing my previous novel on Sir John A. MacDonald, called mm -hmm. just MacDonald. And uh, it takes place right at the end of MacDonald's life in his final year uh, in 1891. At that point, Laurier was the leader of the opposition, so naturally became a character in my book, and so I needed to, I needed to find out a, a lot more about him than I had known, and uh, that was really what uh, first got me uh, deeply into the into the man. Well, that's what really piqued your interest. Uh, you then went on to write your current novel, Laurier in Love. In the process of writing your novel, what did you learn about the man that you didn't know before? Well, the uh, the most striking thing, really, uh, was to uncover a cache or a hoard, shall we say, of his love letters that he wrote to his law partner's wife, Emily Laverne. Now, we all know uh, Laurier was happily uh, married and, and for a very long time to, 
to uh, Zoe Laurier, and there's a, a lounge in the Chateau Laurier Hotel in Ottawa named after her. But at the same time, he was conducting uh, quite a, a passionate relationship with Madame Laverne, who was the wife of his law partner, uh, and who was also a good friend of, of Madame Laurier. So it was a very um, dramatic sort of love triangle. And the, uh, the strength of, of, of it all, of the, of the relationship between Laurier and Emily, really comes out in his letters. They're, uh, they're on deposit at Library and Archives Canada, but there was also a little book published of some of those letters uh, back in the 1980s called Dearest Emily. This really piqued my, my interest in doing a separate novel on Laurier himself that would really focus on that love triangle. And, and that's the heart of, of my novel, Laurier and Love, is that uh, three-way relationship. Of course, it's set against the background of uh, Canadian history at the time. And it, it takes place over a five-year period, beginning with uh, 1896, when Laurier is first elected prime minister. But uh, it, it delves most deeply into that personal side of his life. And uh, it was a very complicated private life indeed. And these letters you came across, were you aware of them all along, or are they there for everyone to see? Well, you know, they are available, uh, certainly to researchers in the archives in Ottawa, but, uh, and then there's that book I mentioned, which is out of print now, I think, but it's not a relationship that is known widely, I don't think. Uh, when, when people think of Laurier, they don't necessarily think about what was going on in his private life. That was the side of Laurier that I chose to write about in my novel because, you know, fiction is about people. It's about characters. It's about uh, story. And that side of, of Laurier's life hasn't really been given much attention in the biographies and the works of history that have been written about him. Emily is always mentioned uh, to some extent. Um, and and the, the best treatment, really, of the relationship uh, that had previously come out was in Sandra Gwynne's book, The Private Capital, where she discussed the triangle. But um, I, I felt that it was really an ideal subject for fiction, you know, that, that fiction is, gives you the scope to go into people's minds and hearts and portray the characters in, in intimate settings in a way that, that historians can't do. But that was what got me writing about Laurier as a fictional character. And this triangle with Laurier and the two women in his life probably really influenced him a lot in his accomplishments. What do you think was Laurier's defining moment or accomplishment? Yes. Well, I, I think in, in the public sphere, his, his greatest accomplishment was undoubtedly uh, as Canada's first French-speaking Roman Catholic prime minister, bringing the two solitudes closer together really embodying in his own being uh, a bridge between English and French Canada. You know, the divide was even greater, I think, in the, in the 19th century than it is now. Uh, there was a, a sense of animosity often uh, colored by religious feeling uh, between English and French Canada and, and between Protestantism and Catholicism. Laurier in his, was such a, he was actually tremendously admired, you know, something that uh, might strike us as, unusual today when we think about our politicians. But Laurier was a very ad widely admired uh, individual. He, he was an impressive man, uh, an eloquent speaker in both languages, a very elegant uh, figure. Uh, he came out on the world stage at Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee celebrations in London and was lionized by the, the London press. And he, he led Canada at a time of great optimism and prosperity when 
we were settling the West, and uh, there was, it was a time of expansion and, and hope. And he was able to, I think, articulate a vision for the country that inspired people. So, uh, you know, quite apart from the individual issues that he dealt with, you know, such as the Manitoba schools question, say, or the Boer War, which were difficult issues that he had to finesse politically. Apart from all that, I think it was the way he was able to bring the different parts of the country together with a sense of common purpose that was so important. He was able to make French Canadians feel that they belonged in Canada. One of their own was able to become the, the national leader. He also, um, I think, showed English Canadians who might have been prejudiced against, uh, somewhat against Quebec or French Canada that, that they had nothing to fear, you know, that there really was room in the country for both groups. Which leads me to my next question. Uh, what were the chief criticisms of Laurier? <laughs> well, uh, of course, there were plenty of those. Uh, any political leader will, uh, no matter how successful, will be criticized for, for things he does or doesn't do. And uh, naturally, uh, you know, apart from his opponents in the Conservative Party who were bound to find fault with him, yes, there, there were, there were uh, people who, given that, that Laurier was a compromiser, you know, someone who was trying to conciliate often opposing forces in the country, there were naturally people on, on both sides who uh, weren't prepared to compromise. For example, on um, the Boer War, he was quite torn about whether Canada should send troops to uh, fight alongside the British. Quite reminiscent of the, the current conflict in Afghanistan, you know, where the country is also divided. So in, in, 18, uh, in the late 1890s, he had to decide whether to satisfy Quebec and stay out of the war or, or satisfy English Canada, which was very, very pro-British in those days, and equated patriotism with uh, the British crown, whether he, whether he would uh, satisfy them and go into the war uh, wholeheartedly. He found a compromise solution where we did send troops, but on a very small scale at first. Eventually, those troops became more numerous but over the course of the war. But you know, by, by not going to either extreme, he naturally made people angry on both sides. Of course, that's, that's always the problem and the difficulty with um, someone who tries to bring about compromise. He was seen as a bit of a fence-sitter. He, yes, he, he, he didn't go far enough for yeah. the, uh, the, the pro-imperialist faction in, in uh, English Canada, especially in Ontario, and he went too far as far as Quebec nationalists were concerned. On the other hand, he, he kept the country from splitting apart over the Boer War, and he kept his government intact as well. So he was a very practical politician in that sense, and... Uh, and a very successful compromiser, and you, you had to be, in, in order to be in power for 15 consecutive years, uh, which is still a record, by the way. Other, others have been in power longer, such as Trudeau or Mackenzie King, but neither of them had 15 consecutive years, as Laurier did, in terms of uh, liberal leaders. So, you know, he, he did know how to craft a compromise that would defuse a crisis and uh, keep himself and his party in power for as long as he could. What he finally came up against, of course, in the 1911 election was the issue of reciprocity or free trade with the U.S., uh, which was a, an issue that he had championed before to his political regret back in, the, in 1891 when he lost to Sir John A. Macdonald in, in Sir John A.'s last great election victory. So he revived, uh, and his party revived the notion of free trade again in 1911, and once again uh, the country turned against it and against him, and, and that was when he, uh, he lost power, went into opposition.
So we live in different times now. Politics and privacy have changed vastly since Laurier's time. Are there any lessons you feel politicians and the general public could learn from Wilfrid Laurier's example? Well, his, yes, his example um, really is worth remembering today at a time when politics is practiced in a way that's very divisive and bitter. You know, that's, that's always been true about politics. Of course, by its nature, it's a confrontational profession. Certainly in the late 19th century, that there was no exception to that. And yet, what struck me so much when I was writing my previous novel about Donald was how he and Laurier could fight a, a bitterly fought election campaign in 1891, and yet still treat each other with respect, even admiration. And when MacDonald died, it was Laurier who gave the most eloquent and moving eulogy about MacDonald's life and his great contributions to Canada. Laurier spoke in Parliament about MacDonald in, in a very sincere and uh, touching way. I was so struck by that. I put that eulogy into MacDonald, the novel. And then later on, when he was in power himself, he, he certainly always treated his opponents in a very civil and, and respectful manner. And on occasion was prepared to admit that they had a good idea or two. And, he, and again, when he was in opposition later on, he, uh, you know, he was willing to work with his colleagues on the other side of the house in a, in a constructive manner, especially at a time of crisis, such as the First World War. It was only when uh, it came to the issue of conscription uh, in 1917, he refused to, to work with, with the Borden government. And of course, that, that led to, uh, to Laurier being deserted by some of his own MPs, mainly from English Canada, who went over to Borden and formed a union government in 1917. So Laurier was, was, was a man of principle as well as a pragmatic politician. But he was, uh, he was willing to, to work with his political opponents when uh, the interests of the country demanded it. And I think that's something that we'd like to see more of in Parliament today. So through his ability to compromise, it made him quite a great peacemaker in his time. Yes, yes. And, and, and someone who contributed tremendously to national unity, you know, to, to a sense that, uh, that the, the important thing was to be Canadian rather than to stress one's English-Canadian or French-Canadian heritage. They were important, too, but there was a kind of an overarching uh, Canadian-ness that he championed that uh, I think really did help to, to bring the, uh, the country from colony to nation. And he certainly, uh, and this would be the other great accomplishment of his, was he oversaw Canada's increasing independence of Great Britain in, in the international arena and, and moved Canada closer than ever before to, uh, to being a fully independent, self-governing nation. So um, we owe him a great deal, and uh, it's important to, to remember how much he, he gave and how much he shaped his country. We'll all celebrate his birthday. Indeed. It's, uh, Sir Wilfrid Laurier Day is, a, is an excellent time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Roy. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for doing this podcast. Oh, you're very welcome, Beverly. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to an online exclusive on Wilfred Laurier with Roy McSkimming. Roy is the author of Laurier in Love, which was just published this year by Thomas Allen Publishers. My name is Bev Tellon. Thank you for tuning in.